only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. How are you? Well, how about you? I'm well. I'm also well. Yes. Um, I see we're both on the call. We're all three on the call, which is wonderful. So uh, we're just going to go right into it. So let's get in a position that's comfortable and uh, that allows us to have our spines totally erect. And can you guys hear me okay? I just want to make sure that I got a good headset. Perfectly. Okay, great. So let's take some time and go within. And I'll begin with the blessing, and then we're going to go right into a five-minute silent meditation. I'll time it. And with the five-minute silent meditation, I invite you to simply create the intention to clear the mind so that we may recognize God. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful to be able to come together We declare our willingness to be fully present and available to allow divine wisdom to flow through us. We declare that we are worthy to be channels of divine wisdom of light. We declare that we are the two or more who are coming together with that shared intention to experience a greater awareness of love's presence in and as our life. So we offer up any blocks that might prevent us from being fully available to experience our true nature. So we're going to release all the judgments, any thoughts of lack of limitation, any opinions that just aren't serving us. And we open ourselves up to be fully present without judgment, free of misperceptions. We align ourselves with our true nature, with perfect love, and we allow ourselves to simply rest in an awareness of God. We dedicate all of the healing benefits of this time together to our community, to inspire spiritual community. And we hold the vision of the community in our minds and our hearts. 
and we allow it to be. We go forward, preparing for our meditation with our hearts and minds in perfect congruency, just grateful to be able to connect with one another at this heart level. And let us go with it.
and taking a deep breath in and breathe out. One more time, deep breath in, breathing in insight and wisdom, breathing out confusion. Okay, so I'd like to talk very briefly about going forward and what we can look forward to in the next couple months. Uh, beginning in, uh, after this module, which will end in June, we will uh, take two weeks uh, off and then begin our final module, uh, which is a shorter module. And we're not going to have, uh, we're not going to meet every week. We'll probably come together twice a month. And um, uh, we'll come together twice a month and check in with each other. You will be expected in the next couple weeks to really work on your spiritual counseling, your spiritual counseling hours. And uh, that's important to focus on. Um, so really hunker in, guys. Call your fellow practitioners. Ask them if they will uh, work with you uh, uh, in that capacity so you can get your hours, you can get your practice. We'll be talking a lot about your experiences with counseling in the times that we are together. And, um, yeah. We'll also... Um, I'm going to be assigning everybody a research paper. Uh, everybody will have a different topic. And um, I'll give you more of those parameters later, but your research paper will be, uh, you'll be working on that uh, in the last couple months. It will be due probably September 1st. So that gives you uh, August and half of July to, to work on it. And then uh, we will have reviews before the graduation, probably in the second or third week of September. Uh, we'll have uh, some reviews for you uh, to do. And uh, Stephen will talk about what that might look like for you. Uh, I sent you an email today with the dates of graduation. If you are able to... Um, make it, then we should talk about that and maybe we can have your final exit interview, uh, which will be done with a panel um, when you're here before the ceremonies. Okay? Okay. I'll mention that to Mike as well. Um, Yeah, and so when we do check in, we'll be talking, we'll just simply be talking about um, how it's going. Uh, with your with your own spiritual practice, how it's going with uh, your counseling sessions, and we'll just talk about uh, material that we've um, we'll review material that we've gone through over the last few modules. Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, this next uh, last module we'll be doing sort of an overarching review, and your research paper, your paper. Your final paper will be uh, based on some of the material that we've already covered in any of the modules. So 
Um, and I'll have more information on that at a later time. So we won't spend too much time on that. So we can expect classes also when we get together. They'll probably be an hour in length or so. Probably won't be as long either. So they'll be less frequent and less time. Um, and uh, you will be, I haven't decided if, there's a possibility you might have a partner with your research uh, or with your research thing. And um, if that's the case, and you'll have to make time to meet with them each week to do the paper. Also, there's a possibility that your group might create a legacy. You might have a legacy project, and uh, which means that you'll create something for the community together as a group, which you can leave for the community. Meaning, maybe it's a new ministry, maybe it's you know enhancing uh, the prayer ministry, uh, maybe it's creating more structure around the um, uh, triangle square donation. That might actually be it, but uh, and creating a more of a relationship there. But we'll um, we'll see. We'll see. I'll have more on that in the next couple weeks. So though we won't be meeting in formal classes like this, we definitely will be. Uh, uh, we de- you definitely will be working on in uh, your in the program. Really, a lot. There's going to be a little more work. So, cool. Sounds so good. Great. Great, doesn't it? <laughs> um, it's really wild to think that we are coming to the end of the program. Um, we've really had a journey uh, with each other. So it's uh, really been a blessing. I've grown so much. I've learned so much. And I just find this to be such valuable information and experiences. And I'm grateful to have been able to walk this path with you all. And what I'd like to begin to just get really deep in the conversation tonight is, you know, what is the role of a practitioner? Now that you're going to be a licensed practitioner out in the world representing Inspire, what's the role of a practitioner in day-to-day life, such as what's your role at work? And what's your role within the church? And... um how do you feel as though this program has shifted how you move in the world? And what were those shifts? And how are you moving in the world now? So let's just open up the circle to have a little conversation about this. What I'd like to begin with is how has your spiritual practice evolved? And what does it look like today? And maybe it's just, what does it look like this week? What have you, what do you feel as though you've gotten more clarity on as far as spiritual pra- your spiritual practice is concerned? And where do you think you have a little more work to do? So, Tom, why don't we begin with you? What does your spiritual practice look like today? Your formal sit-down spiritual practice. I'm doing more meditation and more... Writing, 
are affirming. I'm also looking to be more of a grounding force in the community. Somebody that uh, people can uh, look up at and, uh, you know, just to be able to to know the presence uh, of God within everybody, not just the community, but the everybody. And just realizing that God force within me and with everybody, but it's being able to say, you know, practice the presence of God and uh, practice that uh, that knowingness. And I'm with me. I'm doing more. I uh, what I need to work on is getting the uh, doing the uh, counseling. I need to. Uh, Work on just doing the the work uh, you know, consistently. The doing the, the uh, not procrastinating, but actually putting uh, putting it forth. So, just in regards to your spiritual practice, what do you feel as though? Um, you'd like to lean more into in your spiritual practice? Is there something that you would like to explore a little more deeply just in your own time? Pretty much like consistency. Mm -hmm. Knowing the truth uh, uh, is one thing, but practicing it in such a way that things start manifesting not only on a physical level but manifesting in my deepening my relationship with the God within me and with the God uh, at all in the world at large and the universe. And I guess to me that grounding force is just being able to say, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. What do you procrastinate on? Like, what have you found to serve as your, uh, a big distractor for you? What prevents you from being more consistent in your practice? Getting out more. Getting out and uh, doing, doing the counseling sessions. And uh, basically, like, with uh, my writing stuff every day, doing it consistently, and uh, not just putting it off, you know, and doubling it up on another day, which I'm very proud of. Well, let me pause because maybe I'm not being clear. I'm not necessarily asking, like, what's preventing you, like, what are you, uh, what are the things you're procrastinating on 
as far as getting your work out there in the world. I'm referring specifically to in your own personal spiritual practice, your formal spiritual practice, or maybe how you're taking the practice of these principles out with you into the world. It's not what you're, not what you're, the product you're creating necessarily, but what serves, which, what's the distraction that prevents you from having more consistency in your spiritual practice? My distraction is pretty much not focusing on what uh, what is there to do. I'm too much right now, you know, with uh, uh, in my home. I'm uh, too much access to the kitchen. I'm not eating the proper food, so that's one distraction I have to to. To think about, and also just to get out, being able to to work in the community more, work in like not only with the spiritual community, the inspire spiritual community, but also with with doing. I do the work as far as the homework assignments and stuff, and all pretty much even though it might last me, take me to doing things at the last minute. And that's the procrastination there is us is keeping putting it off. And really, the procrastination is not doing work or anything like that. It's doing, focusing what, uh, uh, on uh, working the spirituality, the, the, Meditation, I do that pretty consistently, and the writings. But sometimes the writings, I will do that, and then I will stop, uh, and then have to redo again. Just kind of, just kind of doing it uh, and doing the being in integrity with myself. Mm-hmm doing what I say that I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to peel off the layers, what is underneath that? What belief system, what mm, thought process is, uh, what habit, what habit or what belief system that creates a habit that distracts you from doing what you're really interested in as in in regards in the you know, staying within the spectrum of your spiritual practice in your own conscious contact what is the belief system that's underneath some of those things you just talked about probably peeling away any feelings of lack or limitation, any feelings of not worthy, being worthy, that everybody else is doing what they're mm-hmm. supposed to be doing uh, and uh, that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Just feeling, you know, that self-worth, that working on being, I guess, being a part of the... Uh, 
of who I am and expressing that and Mm -hmm. not coming from feelings of uh, unworthiness and peeling back those layers of uh, unworthiness to reveal the divine that is expressing in me. I'm also hearing like maybe an element and I hear it in you because uh, I know it because it's something that I've worked through as well, but almost this feeling of being bad, you know, like, cause you said it, it, it I, I heard that in sort of the comparison of, you know, everyone else is doing it. I'm not. Uh-huh. Um, and there's this like, essence of it's bad of me that I'm not doing it, you know, that my practice, I'm not doing it like they're doing it. There's something wrong with me. Um, I hear that just a little bit and I share that just because, you know, this is really, we've done enough work, we've had these conversations enough to where we can have these conversations with one another to say, maybe that's something worth exploring and uh, maybe even, you know, as we pray, placing that on the altar that, There's nothing bad about me. There's nothing broken in me. I'm not doing anything wrong. And uh, just seeing what comes up with that. See if there's any new insights for you. And then... Realizing that uh, I I am not doing anything wrong, per se, or bad. Mm -hmm. It's just uh, it's not getting me really to where I say I I want to get to. Yeah. Well, and here's the work as a practitioner. This is how you get to be your own spiritual counselor. Is Okay, so we, we're identifying some, you know, just some stuff, some residue that can be cleaned up a little bit. And um, now let's just shift the focus on what is it that I'm interested in. And not about anything materializing in the physical realm. What are you interested in? What's your heart's true desire? All in regards to the feeling tones. You know, how are you interested? What spiritual qualities are coming forth for you? What are you really interested in embodying and expressing? And I want to feel abundant. I want to feel loved. Mm-hmm. So I am willing to feel abundant now. I am willing to feel loved now. I think those are some good affirmations, those willingness affirmations. And as you do that too, and maybe in some of your writing, you know, exploring those I am statements. I am a child of God. I am worthy of love. I am, you know, uh, I am holy. And these are things that we know by nature. So it's not necessarily, you know, working, feeling like you're combating the subconscious mind where some affirmations like I am a money magnet, people love to give me money, things like that, that your subconscious mind will say, well, no, you're not because people don't love to give you. No one's giving you money. So shifting that perspective a little bit into, you know, Uh, So those are where you really develop those willingness affirmations. I'm willing to be a money magnet. I'm willing to feel abundant. I'm willing to receive more abundance. Uh, So you can play, I think, in that regard, but then also work on the I am statements, which are the the overarching 
definitive truth of spirituality. I am as my Father made me. I am one with the one who invented love. I am perfect, holy, and complete. I am a child of God. Uh-huh. And so I'd really invite you the next couple of weeks, really, uh, you know, and, and even overarching that, I am willing to embody divine, loving discipline. I'm willing to embody loving discipline because loving discipline is really powerful. And that's what will support you in anchoring in a, a regular practice, in loving yourself more deeply, allowing the food choices, you know, for whatever reason, you've been guided to eat specific things. And so making those loving decisions to eat the foods that will support you and feeling vibrant and healthy and present. So I think, uh, Tom, that your homework assignment this week, I'm going to give it to you, is I would create, uh, I would create three willingness affirmations. I am willing to feel, fill in the blank, and three I am statements. What are the overarching uh, statements that you know to be true, as in, and those would all, will all have to do with law, spiritual law. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. So three willingness affirmations and three I am statements. Okay. All right, and then play with that. And then check in with us next week and see how that, uh, uh, how that, you know, let us know how that went. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Thank you. Stephen, how, how are you doing? Excuse me. Um, I think I'm doing good. Um, I kind of noticed over the last like month or so that I felt like I was sort of not um, as diligent with my practice. So I just went back to square one. I started back at workbook exercise number one, started back at page one of the text. And um, I started going through, and then I think, like, maybe day four I missed, and then, like, maybe day five, so then I made myself go back to one. So it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do until this becomes habit. Like, every time I break, I'm just going to start back. And um, so now I've been at about a two-week clip of, you know, it's the first thing I do when I get up now. I, I pray, I do the workbook, I meditate. I read the text, I go on with my day. And um, I think I just kind of had to out of the ceremony and ritual out of my routine and just get like bare bones with it. What is the point? What, 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 what's the, what, the, what do ceremony and ritual bring? What's the value that ceremony and ritual bring to the table? I I mean, nothing really for me. Like, it's like, I, you know, I don't have to, it's kind of one of those things, it's almost like, the for me, it's the difference between taking a shower and taking a bubble bath. Like, on that morning when I wake up and I'm not like, oh, I've got to be at work in, like, X minutes. Okay, now I'm going to light my candles. I'm going to get my, position my cushion right here and do that. But when because I've I've shared before that I'm not really a morning person, but I have committed to getting up a half hour earlier over the last month or so. 
And so it's like, okay, I can sit, like, on my cushion by my bed, pull out my book, do my thing. And and that it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a certain track playing or uh, me holding something in my hand or any of that stuff. It's just me talking, me listening, me just being. And it's kind of transferred into my life a little differently too And that, like, I don't, I don't, I've let go of a lot of expectations and situations or with people or whatever. I'm just kind of just being versus like having to um, like shape something or kind of going back to what you were saying to Tom of having it look a certain way. It's about what does it feel like? And if it's just me with this blue book in my lap, it feels real. It feels authentic. If you were going to teach a new, like a class or a workshop on ritual and ceremony as tools to enhance your spiritual practice, how would you, what would you teach about ceremony and ritual? Um, I mean, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't have a place, and I'm not saying that I will never do it. I think that that's the other thing that I've kind of come to with my practice is that like it's it's an ebb and flow. It's you know it's kind of like my my yoga practice. Some days I'm very I feel like pushing myself. I feel like it being very athletic, very sweaty. And other days I want it to be softer, slower, longer. That I it's me just kind of tuning into my rhythms. I think of like. Okay, but so I think if I were teaching that, I think it's a great tool in the beginning of formulating a spiritual practice because it does give you sort of a parameter of, okay, I've lit this candle, it's time to do this. Or I say this affirmation every time I touch this bead or rub this crystal or whatever. So I definitely think that there's a role and a place for it. Um, for me, it was just becoming a thing of like, okay, am I more dependent on the bells and whistles or am I just like, can I just sit and be still without any accoutrement? Well, you're making some very good points. I agree. I feel like ritual and ceremony are great tools to use to begin to develop a spiritual practice that works for you and also mm-hmm. give you structure, which I think mm-hmm. would be very helpful for some people, uh, especially in the beginning. I think you're absolutely right. But there are, I would say, there are certain practices and certain philosophies and paths that utilize ritual every day, um, mm-hmm. everything. I, I contemplate Venerable Dahani and how, you know, the ritual, the rich, rich ritual and ceremonies that go into working with her um, always, you know, and, um, you know, the Cherokee tradition is based off of that deep ritual, which I think is really beautiful. But what element needs to be present if you are doing rituals? So it doesn't, or ceremonies, so it doesn't just, so it doesn't become, like you were alluding to, a, a false idol, something you become mm. dependent on. 
Mm. What needs to be present in order for you to do, to really, to uh, utilize the full uh, power or essence of ceremony? We'll call it ceremony. Okay. Um, I I think, uh, and I'm just speaking from my own um, experience, uh, stillness and willingness. Mm-hmm. Willing yeah. to... Yeah. To be... Because I'll tell you, I mean... I, and I even think that this is probably even more so now since last retreat, uh, but definitely since starting this program and probably even going back to spiritual toolkit with you. Gosh, what was that? <laughs> Two and a half years ago? Maybe longer, possibly. Um, I show up way less reactionary in my life, like with friends or at work. And I'm so much more willing to just hand things over. Um, I started doing it more um, in teaching my yoga class. Of like, and I would start by silently just doing it myself, of like turning over this space, turning over this experience. And then I started encouraging my students in yoga to do the same. And it's just the the vibe has just completely changed. Like, I don't know. It's, it's I I think that those are all um, effects of the practice. Those mm-hmm. are all ways that uh, I think those are all positive, um, cool ways that uh, some cool experiences and shifts that you're experiencing. But keeping the conversation on ceremony specifically, mm-hmm. and we're talking about this because it's, I think it's good to be clear on this because you can teach about the benefits of ceremony. Yeah. The most important thing to have in ceremony is awareness, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. To know, you need to know why you're doing what you're doing. Then it doesn't just become some magical uh, ritual that you're performing, you know, in order to, oh, sorry, in order to uh, feel or look a certain way. Mm -hmm. So ceremony can be very valuable if it's done mindfully, if you are, if you know why you're doing what you're doing. Like we light the sage. So like in Native American cultures or other cultures, they light the sage and they clear the space. The smoke also is a messenger, you know, and so yeah. it's it's releasing the past. It's it's also freeing any confused uh, or stagnant energy in the space, and it's, so you can you know release yourself. It's also purifying your energy fields, and so there's no blocks or distractions when you are consciously connecting to God, you know. And then they'll uh, you know they'll fill the water on the uh, you know, to fill the water on the thing. Water holds the wisdom of the of the world, of the universe. You know, the minerals, the grains, it's all an offering for everything. It's about, you know, acknowledging the earth, acknowledging everything around it. But the crystal, you know, is an amplifier, a communicator. The crystal supports you in, you know, um, bringing forth specific aspects and elements of the divine in your practice. And each crystal has its own life, its own personality, its own ability to support you in specific ways. And so you see how, like, aware 
that the the awareness that's there. It's not like I'll wear this because I saw someone do it. You know, I thought it was. And you listen, if you're wearing it because you think it's cute, that's great. But if you can't do it with some awareness, thinking that it's like a magical, right, like an animal, you know, wand or something like that. And so there's just this beauty. There's a real beauty in ceremony. I think when it's done with purpose and I agree. awareness. And so if I were going to teach something on ceremony, that would be the first thing that I really talk about is do it mindfully. And so if you're just doing it to do it and you're not really feeling, you know, you're not you're not in a space where you can feel, because there's been times where I have very rich ceremony in my practice and there's times when I don't have my, you know, it's just sitting and praying and connecting and reading the course. And again, I think our practices ebb and flow. Of course they do. So, but uh, these are just things to really keep in mind when contemplating our roles as teachers and practitioners in the world. You know, so what's your role as practitioner in ceremony in that? And what have you found to really support you? And what isn't? It's that spiritual uh, sovereignty, right? right? Again, you know, don't do it because I do it. You know, then it's ritual, you know. Do it right. because you feel connected to it and you know why and it means something to you. It's ceremonial. It's beautiful. Um, so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about what is the role of a practitioner in the church? So Stephen, we'll start with you on this one. Um, what is the role of a practitioner in, within the spiritual community? Within the spiritual community, because even though you won't be in the program aspect of this, the um, practitioner program, you're still going. Now you will now be a, an inspired practitioner. What do you think the role is of an inspired practitioner? Um, I think it's to be a, de- a demonstration of of our principles of our mission statement um i think it's also to be i think how i want to phrase this of like a to also be an ear for the community because in some degree you're kind of regardless of your age, viewed as like almost like a spiritual elder of some sort. Do you know what I mean? Where I think there's this conception maybe that people have of you of like, oh, you've done this course, you know some things, <laughs> you know? And I think it's up to us to demonstrate that. That, But not only that we know it, that, but that we live it. And that, for no better term, we practice it. Yes. Kind of like you were just saying with the ritual that we don't just perform the ceremony, but we embody these principles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on the role of the practitioner in the community, in the spiritual community, inspired spiritual community. 
walking the talk. And by that I mean is demonstrating the principle that uh, demonstrating what you know to the community, letting people see not so much what your uh, words are, but with what your action is behind it. What are you? Uh, what are you saying? Making sure that what you're actually saying is what you're actually doing, and being able to be there and being available to the community for service and uh, allowing other people to see the service and really realizing that uh, this is a, uh, this is about them. This is, uh, I don't want to say necessarily what they should be doing, but what they could, their potential. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we definitely are serving as an example. We're, um, we're being of service to mm-hmm. others in the community, and that's how we really show up for them. Right. Uh, uh-huh. I apologize, gentlemen. I just got a message from a couple of the... Um, um, from a couple of my practitioners, and they are having trouble, technical difficulties with their other class. So I had to send them a um, a message real quick. Let me do that real quick. Okay, I did. Okay, so the practitioners are part of the ecclesiastic body of the community. So you're part of the spiritual leadership of the community. And so what you were saying is exactly right. You demonstrate the power of the principles when applied to your life. You're a living demonstration of what is possible when you live your life in alignment with spiritual principle. It doesn't mean you... That doesn't mean your feet don't touch the ground, you know. It means that you do your very best to practice loving kindness. You move through fearful thinking when it arises, and you're of service. And, And each and every person will express, will demonstrate in their own way and the only way that can they can demonstrate through their unique experiences, their unique perspective. And that's why it's exciting to know that, you know, there's so many, there's an endless possibilities for people to do so many things because we all have unique perspectives, interests, talents, and that's how it will express itself within the community. So, yeah. So a practitioner is part of the ecclesiastic body. You are part of the spiritual leadership of the community. You hold the space for the highest vision of the community to manifest. You you help participate. You hold the container. So what are some ways that you can show up? Um, Let's just talk about this. What are a few 
ways that you wouldn't, ways that you don't show up in your life as a practitioner? What are some things and practices that you don't participate in when you're standing as a practitioner in the community? Gossip? Yeah, that's the big one I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the gossip. Uh-huh. Yes, and the most challenging one as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. What else? So there's gossiping, and what else? Being deceitful. Yeah, being dishonest. Mm-hmm. Belittling. Mm hmm. There's another one, too. And I guess like the most powerful um, I think that the most powerful thing is to align with what is the um, highest vision. So to be in a space of solution, to be working in solution instead of complaining. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because there's always something that you can do to to support the vision of what you're holding in the community, as the community. You know what I mean? Uh Mm Uh-huh. And I have so little... I I, I just don't have much time. I just don't invest much of my time in complainers anymore. You know? And uh, because I've done a lot of healing for my... I've done a lot of healing around people pleasing. You know? Uh And uh, I've, I've really learned that some people just need to complain. That's just that's just what they know, you know. It's how they. You know, I, I started a policy at work that uh, you're not allowed to complain about something unless you're also bringing a solution to the table. Amen. Seriously, mm-hmm. that's a really powerful way to hold uh, space in, at work. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, that's what a former minister would say. You know, is the. Uh, uh, somebody was uh, complaining about something or suggesting something. Her first response would be, "Great, when can you start?" Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, I think that was Catherine Ponder's thing too. Uh huh. <laughs> Feels very pondery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ponderesque. Ponderesque. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, so really contemplate, like, um, and uh, let me see. Let me just review this email I sent out to you guys earlier today um, about homework assignments. Okay, good. So why don't we allow this to be a homework assignment for this week is... um, this week, post in the Facebook group um, our, not the all practitioners, but the specific one for our group. Post in the group uh, how does a practitioner, um, how about this? What are the qualities of a spiritual practitioner? What are the qualities? or traits of a spiritual practitioner. Mm-hmm. And 
how would you like, so that's going to be the first paragraph, second paragraph, how do you aspire to show up in your life as a practitioner? All right, gentlemen, let's take a short break. Let's take a short break. Just stretch your legs. Uh, let's just take three minutes. So um, it's 724. I'll meet you back here at 727, and we'll, we're going to do a little reading from A Course in Miracles. Okay. All right. See you in a bit.
Okay, so we are back. All right, gentlemen. So we are going to Did we read how did God's teachers deal with magic thoughts? We did, didn't we? I don't think we did. Yeah, we did that hmm. the last time. We did, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Steven, you can read. You can review that because obviously you need to. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know where you've been. <laughs> Thank you, Magic Knot. Okay. So let's read. Uh, how is correction made? I'd like to get through three sections tonight. How is correction made? What is justice? What is the peace of God? Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I'll go first, and then uh, Tom, and then Stephen, okay? Oh, do I have a highlighter? Oh, I'll have to do it again. Hold on, guys. I I got. I need one second. I just got to grab my highlighter because I, it's like I can't read the course without it. <laughs> There's always something new that I learn, and if I don't have my highlighter to remind me exactly where it is, then okay. How is correction made? Correction of a lasting nature, and only this is true correction, cannot be made until the teacher of God has has ceased to confuse interpretation with fact or illusion with truth. If he argues with his pupil about a magic thought, attacks it, tries to establish its error or demonstrate its falsity, He is but witnessing to its reality. Depression is then inevitable, for he has proved both to his pupil and himself that it is their task to escape from what is real, and this can only be possible, and this can only be impossible. Reality is changeless. Magic thoughts are but illusions. Otherwise, salvation would be only the same age-old impossible dream in but what in but another form. Yet the dream of salvation has new content. It is not the form alone in which the difference lies. Okay. You lost me on that last line, but God's teacher's uh, major lesson is to learn how to react to magic thoughts holy without anger. Only in this way can they proclaim the truth about themselves. 
through them the Holy Spirit can now speak of the new of the reality of the Son of God. Now He can remind the world of sinlessness, the one unchanged, unspeak, unchangeable condition of all that God has created. Now He can speak. Now He can speak to the Word of God to listening ears and bring Christ's vision to eyes that see. Now he now is he free to teach all the minds the truth of what they are, so that they will gladly be returned to him. And now is guilt forgiven, overlooked completely in his sight and in the and in God's word. Anger but screeches, guilt is real. Reality is blotted out as this insane belief is taken as replacement for God's word. The body's eyes now see, its ears alone can hear. Its little space and tiny breath become the measure of reality. And truth becomes diminutive and meaningless. Correction has one answer to all this and to the world that rests on this. You but mistake interpretation for the truth, and you are wrong. But a mistake is not a sin, nor has reality been taken from its throne by your mistake. God reigns forever, and his laws alone prevail upon you and upon the world. His love remains the only thing there is. Fear is illusion, for you are like him. In order to heal, it thus becomes essential for the teacher of God to let all his own mistakes be corrected. If he senses even the faintest hint of irritation in himself as he responds to anyone, let him instantly realize that he has made an interpretation that is not true. Then let him turn within to his eternal guide and let him judge what the response should be. So is he healed, and in his healing is his pupil healed with him. The sole responsibility of God's teacher is to accept the atonement for himself. Atonement means correction or the undoing of errors. When this has been accomplished, the teacher of God becomes a miracle worker by definition. His sins have been forgiven him. He and he no longer condemns himself. How can he then condemn anyone? And who is there whom his forgiveness can fail to heal? So what does that mean? Um, You but mistake your interpretation for the truth. And as a teacher of God, or in the context of this class, as a spiritual counselor, you're believing in separation. You're believing um, the story. So what would be an example, if you were going to give an example? You're believing the quote, problem and not and not seeing the that it's the perception of a problem that that, that doesn't really happen. You're believing the perception that the problem is the problem. Mm. The job so it's the working in the realm of what instead of what? We're looking Dream. for your you're focusing on what? Going way you're back to the first, on, going way back sorry, to the first module. 
the law of what? What was the major teaching in the first module of Ernest Holmes? The law of... Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ernest Holmes, the law of... Oh, it's right there. It's right there. Give me a hint. starts with... It starts with a C. <laughs> <laughs> Consequences. No. Confusion. <laughs> Cause and effect. Cause and effect. I wasn't even going to say that. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually. What <laughs> <laughs> got there with the process, Jesse. <laughs> the, the law of cause and effect. So when you're working mm. in the story, when you're, uh, when you're believing the interpretation, you're working in the realm of what? Effect. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And we're only interested in... Cause. Yeah. So the healing is done at the level of the mind, right? Mm-hmm. And the cause are the thoughts. Yeah. What they experience is an effect of the, their belief systems. So that's why it's crucially important to guide them lovingly back to what is it that you want. What is it that you're interested in? Where are you going? Tom, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, when we're mistaking the map for the destination, in other words, we're looking at uh, the effect, uh, like Stephen said, and not the first cause, which is God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I share something with you, Jesse, real quick? Because, um, you know, I, I write the article for the magazine uh, here in Charleston, and I just uh, submitted my latest one last night, and it's all about... Um, the issue itself is about the gay community, but very much on like sort of, you know, best coffee shop, best bar, that kind of thing. And so mine is about building different community within the community. And uh, I use a quote from the course of uh, healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Say that again, please. Whoops. Uh, it? Oh, sorry. I was I pulled it up here. Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you used that quote? I did. I haven't gotten my editor's feedback yet, so <laughs> it'll be interesting, I feel like. <laughs> Beautiful. So this talks a lot about, like, because uh, pretty much it. So a magic thought. Uh, what is a magic thought? A magic thought is anything we do to solve a problem in such a way that it can never be solved. Mm. So it's, 
It's working in the realm of effects. We're confusing the effect with the cause, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, it's an attempt to solve an internal problem. And now remember, every all healing is done at the level of the what? Mind. All healing is done at the level of the mind. 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 Yes. Yes. So every uh, problem is an internal problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. Uh, it's trying to solve an internal problem um, by doing something outside of the mind with the body. Mm-hmm. So almost every problem-solving technique we have is magic. <laughs> the lottery ticket mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. So it's, you know, it's doing um, something at the level of the mind. Uh, something we're... we're, we're we're negating the solution for a magic for for a magic band aid, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, something to really contemplate there. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on. Sorry, <coughs> I'm writing some notes here for the next class so we can. Make sure to talk about that. Okay, so the next section here. Oh, so how is correction made? How is correction made? How is correction made? Correction is always made by aligning with what? Aligning with the yeah, it's truth. It's love. We align with love. Love is the great healer. All healing done is done at the level of the mind. Love is the great healer. Sorry, I was that should, be, that should be written down in all of your journals and your notes. All healing is done at the level of the mind, and love is the great healer. So uh, we work in the realm of solution. The solution, you know, every problem is always a misperception at the level of the mind. So we work in the invisible at the level of the mind using a loving solution. So getting back to love, getting back to the truth, guiding the person back to their heart's true desire, which is to be in full alignment with God's will. And God's will and God's nature are synonymous. So if you're always looking for like, okay, well, how do I guide them back? It's the golden key. We start contemplating the different qualities of God and guiding them back to that, to those feeling tones. Okay, so so let's uh, go to what is justice? What is justice? So, Tom, go ahead. You start. Okay. What is justice? Justice is the divine correction for injustice. Injustice is the basis for all the judgments of the world. Justice corrects the interpretation 
to which injustice gives rise and cancels them out. Neither justice nor injustice exists in heaven, for error is impossible and correction is meaningless. In this world, however, forgiveness depends on justice, since all attack can only be unjust. Justice depends. Justice is the holy. Uh, justice is the Holy Spirit's verdict upon the world. Except in His judgment, justice is impossible. For no one in the world is capable of any of making only just uh, interpretations. Okay, let's read that again. Except in his uh, judgment, justice is impossible, for no one in the world is capable of making only just interpretations and laying all injustices aside. If God's Son were fairly judged, there would be no need for salvation. The thought of separation would have been forever inconceivable. Justice, like its opposite, is an interpretation. It is, however, the one interpretation that leads to truth. This becomes possible because while it is not true in itself, justice includes nothing that opposes truth. There is no inherent conflict between justice and truth. One is but the first small step in the direction of the other. The path becomes quite different as one goes along. Nor could all the magnificence, the grandeur of the scene, and the enormous opening vistas that rise to meet one as the journey continues, be foretold from the outset. Yet even these, whose splendor reaches indescribable heights as one proceeds, fall short indeed of all that wait when the path ceases and time ends with it. But somewhere one must start. Justice is the beginning. Uh, so good. All the concepts of your brothers and yourself all fears of future states and all concerns about the past stem from injustice. Here is a lens which, held before the body's eyes, distorts perception and brings witness of the distorted world back to the mind that made the lens and holds it very dear. Selectively and arbitrarily is every concept of the world built up in just this way. Sins are perceived and justified by careful selectivity in which all thought of wholeness must be lost. Forgiveness has no place in such a scheme, for not one sin but seems forever true. Salvation is God's justice. It restores to you it restores to your awareness the wholeness of the fragments you perceive as broken off and separate. And it is this that overcomes the fear of death. For, for separate fragments must decay and die, but wholeness is immortal. It remains forever and forever like its creator, being one with him. God's judgment is his justice. Unto this a judgment wholly lacking in, in condemnation, an evaluation based entirely on love. You have projected your injustice giving God the lens of warped perception through which you look. Now it belongs to him and not to you. You are afraid of him and do not see your hate and fear you do not, and do not you are afraid of him and do not see your hate and fear yourself 
as enemy. Pray for God's justice, and do not confuse his mercy with your own insanity. Perception can make whatever picture the mind desires to see. Remember this, and this lies either heaven or hell, as you elect. God's justice points to heaven, just because it is entirely impartial. It accepts all evidence that is brought before it, omitting nothing and assessing nothing as separate and apart from all the rest. From this one standpoint does it judge, and this alone. Here, all attack and condemnation becomes meaningless and indefensible. Perception rests, the mind is still, and light returns again. Vision is now restored. What had been lost has now been found. The peace of God descends on all the world, and we can see, and we can see. Let's go right into what is the peace of God, and then we'll talk about the last two collectively, okay? Mm-hmm. What has been said, what has been said that there is a kind of peace that is not of this world? How is it recognized? How is it found? And being found, how is it retained? Let us consider each of these questions separately, which reflects a different step along the way. First, how can the peace of God be recognized? God's peace is recognized at first by just one thing. In every way, it is totally unlike all previous experiences. It calls to mind nothing that went before. It brings with it no past association. It is a a new thing entirely. There is a contrast, yes, between this thing and all the past. But strangely, it is not a contrast of true differences. The past just slips away, and in its place is everlasting quiet. Only that, the contrast first perceived has merely gone. Quiet has reached to cover everything. How is this quiet found? No one can fail to find it. Who but seek out its conditions? God's peace can never come where anger is, for anger must deny that peace exists. Who sees anger as justified in any way or any circumstance proclaims that peace is meaningless and must believe that it cannot exist. In this condition, peace cannot be found. Therefore, forgiveness is the necessary condition for finding the peace of God. More than this, given forgiveness, there must be peace. For what except attack will lead to war? And what but peace is the opposite to war? Here, the initial contrast stands out loud or sounds out clear and apparent. Yet, when peace is found, the war is meaningless. And it is conflict now that is perceived as non-existent and unreal. How is the peace of God retained once it is found? Returning anger in whatever form will drop the heavy curtain once again, and the belief that peace cannot exist will certainly return. War is again accepted as the one reality. Now must you once again lay down your sword, although you do not recognize that you have picked it up again. But you will learn, as you remember, even faintly now, what happiness was yours without it, that you must have taken it again as your defense. 
Stop for a moment now and think of this. Is conflict what you want, or is God's peace the better choice? Which gives you more? A tranquil mind is not a little gift. What you not re- would you not rather live than choose to die? Living is joy, but death can only weep. It and death escape from what you ma- what you made, but this you do not see that you made death, and it is but an illusion of an end. Death cannot be an escape, be escape, because it is not life in which the problem lies. Life has no opposite, for it is God, for it is God. Life and death seem to be opposites because you have decided death is life. Forgive the world and you will understand that everything that God created cannot have an end and nothing he did not uh, and nothing that he did not create is real. In this one sentence is our course explained. In this one sentence is our practicing and given its one direction. And in this one sentence is the Holy Spirit's whole curriculum specified exactly as it is. What is the peace of God? No more than this, the simple understanding that his will is wholly without opposite. There is no thought that contradicts his will, yet can be true. The contrast between his will and yours but seemed to be reality. In truth, there was no conflict, for his will is yours. Now is the mighty will of God himself his gift to you. He does not seek to keep it for himself. Why would you seek to keep your tiny, frail imaginings apart from him? The will of God is one, and all there is. This is your heritage. The universe beyond the sun and stars, and all the thoughts of which you can conceive, belongs to you. God's peace is the condition for his will. Attain his peace, and you remember him. Hmm. Lovely. Hmm. So what's the common theme of everything we've read today? I mean, in, in the course. What's the sort of, I feel like it's sort of an overarching, uh, sort of something weaved in. If it's not of God, it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it, I, that line almost like made me chuckle. Like, in this one sentence, is our course explained? Like, well, yeah, duh. Well, think of it like this, too. Like, I really recognize in my life where I judge people. I really mm-hmm. judge people. I have real thoughts on some people, how some people show up, how they deal with other people, how they deal with me, um, you know. I mean, and so really think about how freeing would it be if you were able to drop your judgment about other people mm-hmm. and were able to only judge people through the lens of the Holy Spirit? Mm. Meaning, and the Holy Spirit is the only essence, the only person, the only thing that can judge accurately. Mm. And what, how 
does the Holy Spirit see every living soul? As love, with love, of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfectly innocent. So now you have a gauge to see how in alignment you are with God's will, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are judging anyone, including yourself, then are you seeing through the eyes of truth? No. No. Yeah. So this is why we can become grateful for being irritated or upset or anything like that because we can see, oh, okay, I'm believing something that isn't true. Mm-hmm. I'm believing something that isn't true. What am I believing that isn't true? I'm believing something about this person that isn't true because the only truth I know is that they're wholly innocent. Mm-hmm. And so, did she really do something to you? You know, did she, is it worth holding on? Is that upset worth worth it? Because you're making a choice. And so, I think that's sort of the uh, another overarching theme that was threaded through these last three sections of the course, which is you get to choose. You choose peace. Right. You choose love. And I strongly feel that as a practitioner, a spiritual practitioner, part of the job description is consciously choosing love, making, doing your best to consciously choose love. Any thoughts on that? I just wholeheartedly agree. And I mean, I was just thinking like, I have uh, someone at work that has has really kind of been challenging the last couple of months. And like a month ago, I was like, oh my God, I'm believing like insanity about this person. Like what I'm thinking about this person is insane. And I know the truth. And... um, and every time I deal, then I started approaching all my dealings with her of like, almost as like a mantra as I would be talking, while she would talk and I would be talking, I'd be like, I see you with love. I see you with love. I see you with love. And eventually I, did, I started to. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. I, and it goes back to thing like, we don't have to hang out. <laughs> we don't have to have lunch, but I see you with love. Exactly. I when I'm riding the bus or out there on the street and I see somebody that kind of looks shabby or looks different and stuff, and I I see my judgments coming up, and I say, well, this is not real. This, these, I see them with love, and I said, sometimes I tend to berate myself as not seeing them in love, but then I say, well, that's not helping anything, you know. And by uh, berating yourself for something that that uh, uh, is uh, is not your that you're putting your business on uh, somebody else and you're making their business yours and blah and that's not the same. 
And so as I'm uh, releasing them, and I said, well, I don't have to, uh, to go to bed with you, uh, thank God. And, uh, you know, I don't have to to do this with you or, or whatever, you know, but I can just bless you and let you go your way. And it's like in uh, uh, one of the conversations with God, the uh, books where God says, you know, where we're ju- uh, ju- judging somebody and we're not liking somebody, and, and God would say, well, I like them, and I know them better than you do. And uh, so I keep that thought in mind, you know, well, God knows them better than I do, so I'm, I can't judge them. I can't uh, pretend to be passing to saying them the way God sees them because God sees them as hope, as innocent. Yep. And that's true forgiveness, is being able to see the face of innocence reflected back to you. Mm-hmm. I love the section two in Justice and Justice that it says, um, sorry, let's see. Hey, All concepts of the uh, what is justice all concepts of your brothers and yourself, all fears of future states, and all concerns about the past stem from injustice. So, uh, you know, injustice is an effect of separation. Mm-hmm. And if you, I think about all the times I've been upset because I was, it was like, you know, I was suffering from injustice. And that could even be, how could I be treated that way? How could they see me that way? I don't like how they see me. I don't like their interpretation of me. But it's always something outside of me judging me or some, somebody not giving me something that I want. You know, some outside external force creating a challenge for me in the material world. Now, if we were really able to transcend that, perception and see you know justice is the first step towards that is accepting that one everything's unfolding as it should you know uh, everything's unfolding for my greatest good I am one with all where is the miracle within this I am willing to see the love within this even if it looks like social injustice where is the miracle within this what is this for I am willing to see and aligning with God's perception, the vision of the Holy Spirit, judging through the judging through the lens of the Holy Spirit. So it's being willing to release everything we've been taught, everything, 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 unlearn everything we've been taught, so that we can stand in vision. And that's what a visionary is, being able to transcend the perception of limitation, of separation, and hold firmly onto the truth, be in full alignment with perfect love. And this is what we do as practitioners. This is what this is our work. This is what we aspire to do. And this is how we lovingly guide those that come to us as spiritual for spiritual counseling back to peace as well. It's releasing the habit of working in effect and going directly to the cause, which is simply a misperception. 
It's our choice. It's our choice. So we have to become disciplined enough. And there's that disciplined word again, Dom. We must embody enough loving discipline to course correct, to be willing to course correct. So if we're in upset, are you willing to course correct? All right, gentlemen. I'm going to course correct us right off this call. <laughs> so, listen, um, the last, uh, I think it's sa- the last Saturday of June is our last class. Please have uh, our spiritual resources read, covered, covered by that point before the final. Okay? Okay. Please have, your, have spiritual resources completely read by that point. We're not going to go uh, chapter to chapter anymore on that. Okay. It's a brilliant book. It's a beautiful resource. So please have the entire book read before our final exam. You'll need it read before the final exam. That's all I'm going to say. Okay? Okay. Beautiful. Any last thoughts on tonight's class? Any closing comments? Okay, so um, the homework for this week was, just to review, um, to write in the Facebook group what are uh, the qualities of the spiritual practitioner and how do you aspire to show up as a spiritual practitioner in your own life, yes? Yes. I'm just writing that down. Okay. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for your guidance. We just say yes to all of the healing and learning available, the unlearning. We are peeling away the layers of misperception so that we can fully embrace the light of truth and allow that light to shine brightly. We are grateful for these moments. We are grateful to have such wonderful company on the path. And we share all the healing benefits of tonight's conversation with everyone as we energize an expansive vision of inspired spiritual community. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And so it is. Amen. Amen. All right. Peace be with you. I love you both, and I will talk to you real soon. Good night, boys. All righty. See you Sunday, not before.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.